You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going on, everybody? Jared Sandler welcoming you into another episode of the Justice Sec Conversation. We've got episode 66 with Oakland Athletics manager, Bob Melvin. Uh, Bo Mel, is, his players call him, is one of the more highly regarded managers in baseball. He's won a manager of the year award. He's been the manager of the Oakland A's for a long, long time, since 2011. He's had a lot of success. Uh, he was a former major leaguer as a catcher. He grew up in the Bay Area, uh, has some great stories, and was really excited to get the chance to speak to Bob prior to this season uh, and looking forward to you getting the chance to hear what he has to say. Just a reminder, would really love if you'd consider subscribing, liking, commenting, or just taking the link and passing it on to some friends who you think might be interested. All of that stuff really uh, does go a long way, and I'd really appreciate if you would consider supporting me and supporting this project in that way. Uh, but without further ado, here we go. Episode 66 of the Justice Set Conversation with the manager of the Oakland Athletics, Bob Melvin. All right, Bob. So the first thing I always like to ask people, when you think back to your childhood experiences, influences, interests, hobbies, whatever it might be, you can take it in whatever direction you'd like. But what are the things that, you know, as we talk today, really stand out to you about that time in your life? Well, I grew up in the Bay Area. And I don't, if you're a sports fan and, and you play sports, I don't know that there's a better area to grow up in you know you have a basketball team you have two football teams you have two two baseball teams you you, you've got it all in in the bay area so i was lucky enough to uh to grow up there and and i was just a sports nut i mean i i during baseball season that was my favorite sport during basketball season that was my favorite sport and same thing during football season golf tennis everything else so uh i feel like i grew up the right way as far as being you know exposed to all the different sports and uh you know, one one came to the forefront a little bit later down the road. What pushed you to baseball maybe over over all the others? You know, I, I guess it was just the one I was the best at and people were telling me that. I mean, I really wanted to play basketball. Um, I, I don't – I obviously would not have done uh, maybe as well as I did in the baseball field. But when you're in high school, the difference between baseball and basketball, you're playing a packed gym. You're, you know, it's, it's really exciting. Baseball, there's barely anybody in the stands. So – and high school basketball was my favorite sport. So, if I'm not mistaken, if I've got the times right, there were some really good Oakland Athletics teams when you were growing up in Northern California. Were you an A's fan, and, and what do you remember maybe about some of those teams? Well, I was a little bit of a Fairweather fan, to tell you the truth. Being <laughs> in the Bay Area, you were allowed to do that. Um, and so, yeah, 72, 73, 74, you know, I'm 11, 12, 13 years old, or ten, uh, a year younger than that. Um, they, they were amazing teams and, you know, just, just, and they were so colorful and they were, you know, they, they fought and they, you know, the uniforms and it was the first time, you know, I really paid that close attention uh, and what a terrific team it was and, and entertaining. So yes, I was very much a, a A's fan uh, back in the early seventies. Whether it's baseball or any of the other sports, were there any athletes that, kind of captivated you or, or you sort of try to, to connect with just as a fan watching them? Yeah. You know, we, we used to play like wiffle ball games and nerf ball games and you'd pick a lineup and whoever was, 
was hitting. You had to try to uh, mimic the style and so forth. But, you know, Sal Bando was always a guy that, that I watched with the A's teams at a young age and just, just the, his determination and how clutch he was. And he was the captain of the team. And, you know, just all of those things kind of resonated with me. And then I was lucky enough to spend some time with him later on, and he ended up being a big influence in my career. So, um, yeah, I, it starts probably with Sal Bando. All right, so I heard you're a, a big classic rock fan. Best concert you've been to? Well, I'll tell you what. The, if you go back and look it up, the, the Oakland Coliseum, where I currently work, was the best venue for outdoor concerts back in the in the 70s. Um, the Days on the Green, Bill Graham's Days on the Greens, and, and they were famous for multiple uh, you know, rock bands. And, and so I always had the opportunity to go to a lot of those. At a very young age, I still think back, and I wasn't a huge Grateful Dead fan, but I was a huge Who fan. And Grateful Dead and the Who, I think it was back in 1975, and I was really young still, was probably the best concert I've went to. But, you know, Peter Frampton was there, and Fleetwood Mac was there, and the Doobie Brothers, and Leonard Skinner, and all those bands came through on Day in the Greens. And, and those are the, the times I remember the most uh, as far as musically, and, and that's all that's up in my office in Oakland are pictures of the days on the greens back in the in the 70s. Is there a band or a concert, a show you, you never got to see that, that you wanted to or one that maybe you still could that you haven't had the chance to see yet? No, Zeppelin, that's never going to happen again, and I, I never got to see Led Zeppelin. I saw Robert Plant at the Greek Theater in Berkeley, and he played a couple of uh, Zeppelin tunes, which is probably as close as I'll get to. But that's the band that I missed that that I like the most that unfortunately I didn't get to see. All right, now your your daughter's uh, got a career on the entertainment side. What's it like for you to be able to follow her career and, and her journey? Yeah, and you know she's just done so many things from you know the Lee Strasberg in New York to what she's doing right now with JDRF, and you know she's very creative. She's very smart. Um, she's, she's well-rounded in, in her background and what she's done over her career. And she's really settled into a great role now with JDRF, which works very well for her and resonates due to the fact that she's, she's type one diabetic as well. So, uh, it's cool to be able to support them and be involved in it and, and watch my daughter do her thing. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you about your involvement there. You know, I, I guess with any community effort, you're there to, to support and give back, but I think a lot of times maybe you, you learn something from those experiences. I'm curious, you know, with your involvement in JDRF, what are some of the takeaways you've had just from whatever experiences you've shared through that uh, organization? Yeah, well, not only the knowledge for what my daughter goes through, and we're, you know, my wife's a, a, a very knowledgeable uh, as well as I am in what my daughter goes through, but actually for my own good as far as what I'm eating, and, and I've had some blood sugar issues too and how to monitor that and, and keep yourself at a better level. So, um, you know, we, we've been fortunate enough to know how to deal with our bodies, so to speak, as far as eating and so forth. And a lot of that stems from being educated, uh, you know, with, with my daughter being type 1. All right, so as a player, Bob, you, you played for a number of different organizations, which means you're exposed to different coaches and, and teammates and philosophies and perspectives as a player, who were some of the people that influenced you, whether it was, you know, how to go about things as a player or maybe things that you do now uh, as a manager? Yeah, I, I was lucky enough. You know, one thing is, uh, you know, I, I wasn't good enough to stick around with, with a club for too long, but and I, once I got into free agency, I moved around a little bit. 
you know, my days coming up with the Tigers, Kirk Gibson, Lance Parrish, and those guys took such good care of me over there. Alan Trammell, I came up behind a World Series team and ended up, you know, playing in 85 the year after the World, World Series was my rookie year and playing with those guys and learned a lot how to play the game. You know, Sparky was the manager there. And then, you know, my days with the Giants, guys like Bob Renly and Mike Kruko and Mike Aldretti, and there's so many guys in the Giant organization. We had some great teams there and some really good clubhouses, um, you know, as far as my, my playing days goes and, and, and had some good years with, with Baltimore where, you know, kind of looking towards the end of my career. And now all of a sudden I'm looking at guys like Frank Robinson and Johnny Oates who were uh, big influences on me too, not just a playing level anymore, kind of watching how they did things too. So I, I was lucky enough to be around those type of people. I guess when you're growing up, you know, when you, you dream of being a professional athlete, you dream of doing it for your favorite team. And a lot of time that's the hometown team. And, and you're currently managing I guess one hometown team in Oakland, and you got to play for another. How special have those experiences been? It's really amazing. And the older I get, you know, the, the more you realize how incredible that is. Um, you know, and, and to get, you know, in my coaching career, to get involved with, with Sal Bando and Phil Garner in Milwaukee, uh, you know, before I started managing, and they, they really were the two big influences on me uh, as far as my managing career goes. Um, so yeah, being able to do that at home and, and be at home and, and know that your friends and people that you grew up with are watching every day. Uh, there's no feeling like that. Obviously when you're play- when your teams are doing well, uh, it's great when you're not, you know, it's tough to do at home, but man, what, what a great experience is, that I've had and, and continue to in Oakland. So Bob, I- a lot of your players talk about your ability to connect with them, and I'm not going to ask you to, to toot your own horn, but I, I'm just curious from your own uh, perspective, what are the things that you feel like are important in developing a relationship with your players and in, in the type of setting that you have as a, as a big league manager? Yeah, you know, it's just kind of, I don't think it's anything that I, I you know, it's just kind of who I am and and who I am is based on some of the relationships and some of the things that I've seen, you know, coming up as a player and and a coach. And, you know, I've always been known to be a pretty good clubhouse guy as a, as a player. Uh, And as a manager, it's been easy to, to communicate with players based on my experiences and how guys Roger, like Roger Craig, uh, you know, uh, communicated with me and how Frank Robbins communicated with me. It's just something that came pretty easily to me once I started managing. And uh, I think the guys appreciate that, that I'm able to, to step into their shoes and, and, and know what they're going through, you know, being from experience that I've had and also just kind of that's who I am. And I think uh, it's the first step along the way is to really know what guys are going through and, and identify that. And I think the guys appreciate it. All right. So before you had your first managerial gig, you had, you were a scout and had some, some coaching opportunities along the way. And one of them was with Arizona and you were a part of that uh, Diamondbacks team that won the world series with Johnson and Schilling and, and Luis Gonzalez had the, the big hits and, and all that stuff. I'm just curious what, what that experience was like. And, and, and you know how, I mean, that was such an interesting year because of 9-11 and, and facing the Yankees in the World Series and, and, you know, President Bush throwing out the first pitch and all the things that were a part of that year that made it unique. What was it like for you from your perspective? I, that, 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 those years don't come along very often, if ever. And, and 
you know, I was living in Arizona at the time too. Um, and, and went on to, to manage the Diamondbacks later, but, but that team was so unique. It was just, it was like a bunch of mercenaries, a little bit older in their, in their career came together in one place to do one thing. And that was win a world series. And you look at everybody on that team from Mark Grace and Matt Williams and Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson and Luis Gonzalez and Steve Finley and Reggie Stan, you go on and on and on. It was a veteran team. And, and I really had, had, you know, I, I felt a closeness to those guys as the bench coach because, you know, I hadn't been coaching very long. I played against all these guys too. So we had a great relationship with the coaching staff, with what the job Bob Brenly did in his first year, guys like Bob Welch on the coaching staff. We had such great rapport uh, with our team that they really appreciated that and they felt it and we had a good pulse on these guys and, and uh, ended up being a magical year, just a year alone, let alone what took place in the World Series in New York and after 9-1-1. It's just, just an incredible year that we could talk about probably for hours. So one thing I want to ask, and, and I don't know if there's a way to put this into words, but I know you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to get to broadcast for my hometown team and the Rangers. And so when you know, there are big moments in the booth, like I, you know, I, in the broadcast, I've got to contain myself, but inside my heart's pounding. I, I can only imagine what it's like. I know that as a, as a player and a coach, you're supposed to, you know, keep that heartbeat kind of, you know, as even keel as possible, but when you're in a situation where you could walk off to win the World Series, not just a regular season game or uh, anything leading up to that, but the World Series, wh- what do you remember about what you were feeling in the dugout leading up to that moment? Well, I'll tell you, it was, it all came down to the ninth inning in game seven. And, and we had a lot going on in that dugout. I really looked up at the last second and I never even saw Luis Gonzalez take the swing. I, I looked up at the last second, saw the ball going over his head and I can go over every step of that inning. Like it, it happened yesterday. You know, Gracie leads off with the hit to Lucy's a pinch hitter. Uh, Damian Miller stays in the bunt. We were going to hit for him, but with Gracie on, he bunts and throws the ball away at second. Now we got first and second. We had Durazo ready to pinch hit. We had Colburn ready to pinch hit. Uh, we, we, we ended up going with Jay Bell because he was such a good bunter. You know, he put a bunt down and ended up being first and third. You know, we, we run on the backside with Midray Cummings. Womack doubles into the corner. Uh, you know, so now we have a lot of things going on. And, and I looked at Bob and I go, how do you want this set up here if we, if we, don't get, if we get out of this inning tied? And he looked at me, he goes, it's not going to be tight. Just figure it out. And <laughs> just as he said that, uh, and I'm trying to figure out who goes well, who goes where in the lineup because of all the changes, the ball ends up dumping in the left center field, and we didn't have to deal with that. Was there a point that year where, where you guys, or, or maybe you just yourself, were like, this is, this is a t- I know you can never guarantee that it's going to happen, but this is a World Series caliber team. Was it from spring training? Was it sometime during the year? What do you remember about that? Spring training. That's what everybody came together for. That's what everybody talked about. And Bob Brinley won the room when, you know, with a bunch of veteran guys on his first day in spring training, his, his, his uh, meeting to the players, he said, here are the rules, and he pulled out a cocktail napkin. And it said, play hard and be on time. And that just won the room. And, and that's what everybody talked about from the beginning of that season to the end of that season, is we're all here for a reason this year, and that's the World Series. 
All right, you you played with some great players. You've mentioned some of those. We, you know, we just talked about some of the, the great players that uh, you had on the Diamondbacks team and, and other teams you coached. And you've gotten to manage some uh, unreal players as well. You know, Ichiro and, and Josh Donaldson, and, and now your current Oakland teams. I mean, Matt Chapman is is about as fun to watch as as anyone, and, and there are a number of those guys. I, I'm curious, who are some of the guys? And I know you 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 can't list them all, but. Uh, as best as you can, who are the guys that over your career as a coach or a manager have just stood out either because of ability or work ethic or, or whatever criteria is, is important to you? Really hard to answer because there's probably 50 of them, and I know we can't go through that, <laughs> but it starts in Seattle with Ichiro. I mean, I, I, all he needed to know was what time the game was, and he and he would, knew he was leading off, and he knew he was playing right, and he knew he was going to play every day. And to watch him and his work ethic and his commitment and to everything he did from the time he woke up until the time he went to sleep we revolved around how he was going to go out there and perform and win a baseball game. I that <laughs> To have that kind of luxury as a first-year manager to see was, was pretty awesome. Um, and then, you know, my Diamondback days, I, I, we just had so many good young players there from, from the Stephen Drews and Chris Youngs and Justin Upsons and Mark Reynolds and those guys. And, and that's where I really learned to deal with younger players um, and with such great times there, especially because of the history that I had before then, too. And then you look at some of the Oakland players that we have right now. I mean, it, you know, Matt Chapman's shoot, if he stays on – trajectory he's on he's got a chance to be a hall of famer matt olson over at first base is absolutely terrific as well uh he's going to be an mvp at some point in time to the cal guys marcus simeon and mark Hanna that that you know went to cal where i did as well and local guys and local guys you know doing well um you know I, i'm leaving a lot of guys out but i've been fortunate to not only have you know, really great players. And let's not forget, you know, the group with Cespedes and Donaldson and Moss and all those guys in those years. Um, there's just been so many of them, and they all feel like they're a part of me still to this day. So I've been really fortunate as a manager to have the type of players that I have. You, you've managed guys who are from various parts of America, and then you've managed guys who aren't. And, and English isn't their first language. And, and you know, you mentioned Ichiro and, and, and Cespedes, and, and they have varying degrees of, of comfortability with the English language. But uh, and, and I know that there's a, a quote-unquote baseball language, but what are some of the things you've learned over time to be able to communicate as effectively as possible with, with players for whom English is, is not their first language and maybe not even a comfortable language yet for them at, at that time in their career? Yeah, the, the two easy examples are Ichiro and, and Ioannis Cespedes. And, and <laughs> you know, it, you, you could start right there as two of my favorite guys of all time, if not my favorite. And, and you know, being able to communicate with them and, and get their trust early on, I felt like was important for me. And I went to Seattle before the season started, and I sat down with Ichiro for a time um, to let him get to know what I was all about, get to learn what he was all about. And we're still good friends to this day, our families, and Nico, my wife Kelly, and you know we're still really good friends. Uh, but I think it was important to him that I reached out to him before spring training even started and, and made a specific trip to see him. And I think with Ioannis, the thing that really resonated with him was I was worried about from day one with him making sure he was able to go somewhere and get a good meal and, and live in a place that was conducive to what we felt like 
he should be doing. And I was involved in that early on. And I think that resonated with him that when he came into the ballpark in the morning in spring training and I asked him what he had for dinner and where he went and gave him some, uh, you know, some, some tips on places to go. I think that was kind of a hook uh, with Ioannis. Uh, Bob, how has the catching position changed from when you played to, to where it is more or less now? Well, with analytics, it's changed considerably. You know, a lot of the, you know, the guys that were considered catch and throw guys that had value now, you know, back in the day, you know, guys like me, um, you look at some of the war and some of the analytics and, and, you know, maybe weren't as good as or as impactful as we thought we were. Um, you know, now it goes more on offense, more on framing, maybe, you know, maybe not because of the fact there's so much information, maybe not the game callers that, that they used to be years back. And, um, so it's changed in, in that regard. Everybody's looking for offense. And if you can give some offense as a catcher, you're, there's always going to be a place for you. So, uh, it's, it's changed quite a bit. You mentioned the analytics, and and not specific to that, but just in general, I think such an important part of anything you've been a part of for a long time is to be able to learn as as that thing evolves, and baseball has certainly evolved. How do you go about learning and adapting? Well, you know what? I was lucky enough to to land here in Oakland, and really, Billy, you know, is, is you, I don't want to say invented it, but, you know, Oakland was the first place that analytics became really prevalent. You know, started with Sandy Alderson, and Billy was his right-hand man. And next thing, Paul, Paul DiBattista comes, and guys like David Force. So we're very analytically driven, and when you have a low payroll, you have to find nuances to, to make yourself compete with some of the big boys where you don't have, you know, money to spend like the Yankees and the Red Sox do. And I think Dave, Billy's been as good as anybody in the game uh, at that. And, and one thing I have learned here recently, if you think, that you, you, you've learned it all, you certainly haven't. And if if you if you're reluctant to continue to learn, then there's not going to be a place for you in this game. And you've seen the how many the turnover in managers over the last three or four years has been as significant as any time in baseball. And a lot of it has to do with understanding the analytics and buying in and and selling it to your players and believing in it. Because if you don't, it shows up. So. I've been able to learn quite a bit here under Billy and, and appreciate all his tutelage over the years. All right, the last thing, Bob, I, I want to make sure to hit on. Your your grandfather, I read, was the original ball boy for the Acme Packers, the, the yeah. precursor to the Green Bay Packers, and mm-hmm. that that brought on a really cool relationship that uh, that maybe you had with Vince Lombardi. But before we get to that, how did – how did that come about that your your grandfather was the original ball boy? Did, did he ever share that story and, and how he landed that role? Not how he landed it. I, I knew about him. I still have a picture of the you know the team with him sitting in front. Um, but he was always a huge sports fan and and you know came from from Wisconsin. We've always been huge Packer fans. His relationship with Vince Lombardi, they were really close fan, friends and. He was over dinner anytime they were in town playing the 49ers or, you know, even even in, in off seasons too. And I remember going in the backyard and playing a little catch with the football with them. And, and uh, you know, it was, I didn't realize then uh, how cool that was. I just thought he was Mr. Lombardi, who was the coach, and was out there playing catch with me. I'd, I'd go to practices, and when he was with uh, the Redskins, I'd, I'd go to practice when they play here against the 49ers. So, it was is a really really cool relationship, but it started, you know, with my grandfather and his love of sports, 
he had season tickets to Giant Games and Warrior Games, and you know, so I was exposed to quite a bit at a very young age. Well, there you go. That's episode 66 of the Justice Set Conversation with Oakland Athletics Manager Bob Melvin. Special shout out to the great Zach Rowe for producing the Justice Sec podcast series. Appreciate Zach and all his hard work. And thanks to you for tuning in. Again, would really appreciate it if you would consider just taking this link and sharing it with some friends or just clicking the subscribe button. Not a lot of work, uh, but it does go a long way in supporting this project. Thanks so much again for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe, be healthy, and we'll talk to you later.